things on earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that he's Lord. We're glad by the grace of God and the salvation that we enjoy that we are able to say that Jesus is my Savior, but we also say he's my Lord. And afresh in this service, publicly we say, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Remember those that are in particular need. Those in hospital today, we think especially of Margaret and James. Remember the others, sick, belonging to this church, going through troubles and trials of various sorts. Be their portion, Lord, this day. We thank you that God is the one who comes alongside his suffering people. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us, but especially in those days of trial. And he's told us in the Psalms to, to call upon him in the day of trouble, and I will answer thee. And so in the day of trouble we call upon our God, knowing that his ear is inclined to those that are suffering. We pray that you will bless Irwin and Stephen today as they've gone to Kenya for this little period of time. Be with them in all that they seek to do in the presentation of God's Word especially, every opportunity given to them. May they be men filled with the Holy Spirit. And we do pray, Lord, as we think of the great work of the gospel going forth to the nations of the world, that there in that great nation of Kenya there will be many who will come to trust in the Savior. And so bless their ministry in these days. Remember all of our missionaries. We thank you for them, especially those that have left their own congregation to go out to serve the Lord. Thank you for Noreen and the safe arrival back in Uganda. Bless her and the other members of the team there and those that are going in the very near future and the others that are going to the land of Kenya also. We think of Spain and our brother Alejandro and his wife and family as they serve the Lord in Cortegas Nuevas that the ministry there will be owned of God and blessed of thee. And may many be added to the church such as should be saved. We commit this day to thee conscious that already the word of the Lord has gone forth into our hearts at the prayer meeting, also in Sunday school and Bible class. And now in this service and tonight in the gospel meeting, we pray that you will meet with us in a very powerful way, especially in your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to comprehend what God is saying. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The hymn 139, Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Mortals give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say, rejoice. <laughs> Let's all stand to sing.
Alejandro Bernabeu from Cortecas Nuevas is with us today, and Vanessa and the family, greetings, or as we say, saludos el nombre de Señor Jesucristo. And we're going to ask Alejandro to come and just bring some greetings uh, from the land of Spain and from his family. Thank you. Hello to everyone. It's a privilege for us um, to be here again and for a very short break, only four days or so. But it's a privilege for our family and for myself to be, to be here. I was reading this morning in 2 Timothy 2.13, and it says there, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And I bring greetings from the church in Cortijos Nuevos, that's a very small town in Spain, only 1,000 people, but the church is a church of all the region, and I bring greetings from our church. They had their meeting already this morning. We were able to watch it online, but we are very thankful for what the Lord is doing there, and we bring greetings to the congregation here in, in Balimone. The Lord has uh, been faithful in these fi 35 years that the church has been there, Maybe a bit more, but since the church was constituted, it was 35 years. So the Lord has been faithful to his name and to his gospel that has been proclaimed in, in the church. And as a family, of course, we want to thank you for your prayers. And we know that you are praying for us, and that is so necessary for us. And, and we're very thankful for your continual prayer and also for your support uh, for us. Of course, as you maybe know, last September... We had a, a blessing in our family, a new addition. The, the Lord um, gave us little Ruth. She was born the 29th of September, and we thank you for praying for Vanessa and all the pregnancy, and, and we thank the Lord for, for this blessing. I wanted to also thank you for praying for my dad. Um, all the last year, or at the beginning of last year, he was doing all chemotherapy treatment for his cancer, and we are so thankful that the Lord has, has put his hand upon him, and he's now okay, he's fine, he's well. And in the last checkup that he had in the doctor, the doctor said that everything was fine, so we're very, very thankful to the Lord. I'm very thankful to you for your prayers. I also bring greetings from uh, Reverend John Hanna and Norana. I was with them last Tuesday. There was a conference in Toledo near Madrid, and I was able to go there and meet them, and other pastors were also there. And as they knew that we were coming here, they told us to bring greetings from, from them, from the church there in Alcorcón, Toledo, and the new work that has started in Aranjuez. So if you could pray for the work in Spain, as I started, the Lord has remained faithful. He cannot deny himself. The Lord can do everything, but he cannot deny himself. He will always be the same. He will always be faithful. So thank you for your prayers and support. Always good to have you home. This is kind of home. Uh, we remember the days when you come over in the summertime, spend time with the family and uh, helping you, I suppose, with the English language, and then eventually getting married, settling here for a while, and God called you and raised you up to be a preacher of the Word, and the congregation has a very close affinity with the land of Spain, First with John and Irana going out many, many years ago, decades ago, and then yourselves as you serve the Lord in Cortigas. May the Lord bless you, brother. 35 years ago, the church was constituted. I remember that. I think I was only about five or something like that at the time. I wish I was, but we remember that, and we remember it moving from the town of Baez over to Lyle's home for a while, and then across to Cortigas Nuevas, where it's been, and the church there the building and the renovation of the building. Some of you, of course, followed it very closely as well. Can I bid you welcome in the Savior's precious name to this worship service, everyone that's here. We have visitors from Bambridge. Good to welcome them. Bambridge is the, the town of my birth. I was born there. Um, if you travel to a little place called Primrose Gardens, uh, that's where I was born. There's, a, there's not a little blue plaque there, 
uh, to indicate that. We're not expecting that, but yeah, going back all those years, we have a <clears throat> close tie with County Down, being the place where we were uh, born into this world by the grace of God. So we welcome you. We remind you that the gospel meeting is tonight at seven, and I want to preach on salvation is within your reach. If you listen to the little video message this morning, we concluded uh, telling the story just very, very briefly of little Bronson, the, the boy of two who died very tragically, and we've seen that on the news this week, and our hearts have been very much touched. And the great tragedy, of course, is not only that his father died, but there was food in the fridge, and the little boy was, was just two inches too short to reach the handle of the fridge and get into it. And that, that may have preserved his life. We don't know. But you know, salvation is within your reach, and God has placed it there. And it's not short that you can't reach out by faith and receive it. So we'll, we'll deal with that tonight. And do remember the prayer meeting beforehand at half past six. I think Heidi wants to preach tonight. That's maybe what she's trying to say. Supper will be served. There'll be refreshments after the meeting. We look to you ladies for helping with that. Tomorrow morning is the Hebron Tots at 10 o'clock. And remember the schools ministry, these schools that we get into now on a regular basis. Wednesday is Les Ligon. Friday is Colcrow. And Greg will be in both of them this week in the will of God. Wednesday night is our monthly committee meeting at 8 o'clock. Thursday being our missionary night is a deputation meeting for Chris Killen a missionary to those with addictions, and there will be special prayer for missionary work and revival. We will be, God willing, in <clears throat> Tandragee at the Christian Workers Training Academy on Thursday night. We have some commitments in the early part of this year uh, towards that. Friday night, the Youth Fellowship gets underway again for the new year, 8 o'clock. Young people, we want a full turnout of yourselves Bring others with you. Next Lord's Day begins with prayer, 8 o'clock. Sunday school, 10.30. The Bible class, quarter to 11. And Gideon, the mighty man of valor, is the next character that uh, Phil will deal with in this study. The worship service, 12 noon. The gospel meeting at 7, preceded by the time of prayer. And supper will be served after the meeting next Sunday. Can I just especially for our workers, but all of God's people, so you can pray, Youth Challenge recommences on Tuesday, the 30th of January. That's Tuesday week. Can I mention also next family night, the Lord's Day, the 4th of February, two weeks' time, and Dr. Nigel Campbell will be coming to testify and putting a little title on his testimony, Pictures of Grace in the Life of of a Christian doctor. Uh, we look forward to Nigel coming and ministering the Word and giving his testimony. There's an open day for our Christian schools on Saturday coming, the 27th of January. That's in Portadown, 10.30 to 1.15, and then 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Remember also our Ladies' Fellowship on Wednesday, the 7th of February at 8 o'clock, and Margaret Russell is the guest speaker, and the Hebron ladies will be singing. In the will of God on the 11th, that's Sunday night, the 11th of February, at 7 o'clock at our gospel meeting, it'll be the ordination of Mr. Samuel Johnston, who was elected recently as an elder. The Youth Council is having a 50th anniversary rally on the 16th of February, and that will be in the Martyrs Memorial at eight o'clock. We commend the sick of the congregation to you. All these names that we've been praying for, please continue to remember them at the throne of heavenly grace. We've been asking our church to remember Erwin and Stephen, who traveled yesterday to Kenya. They'll be there on behalf of Vision for Kids for one week. Remember the war in Ukraine, that it will come to an end, and also in Israel, that the Lord will step in in mercy and that he will deliver that nation from oppression. We bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord now as we worship him in our giving. And today is Missionary Council envelopes and the school covenant support. And as we do so, we sing together 
145, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him, King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. But keep our seats as we sing. Let's open the Word of God to the Gospel of Mark and the chapter 11. Over December, we had much to say about the coming of Christ into the world, and with the beginning of the year, we had our mother text, and then last weekend, the missionary conference. So we're coming back after a little while, a few weeks in fact, to our study in the Gospel of Mark. And we come to message 96, and our reading is the opening 10 verses the opening 10 verses of the chapter. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, Whereon never man sat, loose him and bring him. 
And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door without, in a place where two ways met. And they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches of the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we're ending our reading at the 10th verse. May God bless it to us. Let's have a wee word of prayer just as we come to consider God's word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the written word. We know that these things were given for our learning, that we might be taught of God, and the history before us of the Lord Jesus coming to the city of Jerusalem not long before his death is given for a reason. There's never a word that is given in the Bible, but it's for our prophet. And Lord, we want to profit today. We want to understand even what the message from this passage is for our hearts and so draw graciously near by the power and ministry of the Spirit and open our hearts to divine truth and give this preacher the anointing of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the message today. I seek thee now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the occasion before us, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, brings us to one of the most remarkable events in the life and the ministry of God's dear Son. This event is recorded in all four Gospels. When that happens, it is for a reason. It's giving emphasis to the importance of such a thing. Matthew 21, the opening 11 verses. Mark chapter 11, the opening 10 verses. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 44. And then in Luke chapter, or John chapter 12, verse 12 to 19. It has become known as Palm Sunday, happening a few days before the crucifixion and a week before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Knowing that soon he would lay down his life for our sins, nearing the villages of Bethphage and Bethany, he sent two of his disciples ahead, telling them to look out for a colt whereon never man sat. The disciples were instructed to bring this colt to Christ. This was to be the vehicle, if you like, upon which the Lord Jesus Christ would ride into the capital city. Not on a horse, not on a stallion, not in a great chariot, but a humble, unbroken colt. And our Savior sat upon this beast of burden and slowly and humbly made his way into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. For behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fold of an ass. Remarkably, the crowds line the streets. They welcome him with open arms, waving palm branches, casting them in his pathway as they cried, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When the Lord Jesus arrived in the city, he went to the temple. The Bible tells us that he looked round about upon all things, and then he left again. 
On the evening of Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples spent, spent the night in Bethany, about two miles east of Jerusalem. He spent the night and the subsequent nights in that village with a family that was near to him. In the home of Martha, seems to be that she was the owner of the home. Mary lived there, her sister, and Lazarus also, who had been raised from the dead. This is where he spent his final nights before the cross with a family that he loved, and that family dearly loved him. I'm sure that's the place that he wanted to be. I want to bring you to this scene on Palm Sunday, and I want you to see the Lord upon this colt riding into the city of David. And I want to ask the question, how did Jesus ride into Jerusalem? And as we look at this, and there's about seven things that I need to say, so I'm only going to mention three of them now, and we'll come back next week to the others. But as we do so, we're asking the question, are there applications for us? And I believe there are things all these years later for us to understand and a message to apply to our own hearts. So as we think of how Jesus came into Jerusalem, I want to say that he came into the city triumphantly. We call this event the triumphal entry. But of course, it's a very strange kind of triumph. If you spoke of Jesus' triumphal ride or triumphal entry to a Roman, they would have laughed at you, thinking of this scene and Jesus on a donkey. For them, a triumphal entry was an honor granted to a Roman general who had won a complete and decisive victory and had killed at least 5,000 enemy soldiers. When the general returned to Rome, they had an elaborate parade. First came the treasures captured from the enemy. Then came the prisoners. His armies marched by, unit by unit. And finally, the general rode in a golden chariot pulled by magnificent horses. Priests burned incense in honor, and the crowd shouted his name and praised him. The procession ended in the arena where some of the prisoners were thrown to the animals just to entertain the crowd that had gathered. This was a triumphal entry according to the Romans, not a poor Galilean peasant sitting on a few coats set out on a young donkey. Now, having said that, despite the, the lowliness of the event, and we're going to come just in a moment to see the humility of Christ here, this really was a triumphant event. You want to picture the scene. The crowds gathered, lining the, the highway into Jerusalem and the streets of the city, treating him as royalty, hailing him as king, casting their garments in the way, and waving the, the palm branches of victory, all truly majestic and royal and regal and marvelous. We have mentioned how this was a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9 and verse 9. And what did the prophet declare 550 years before? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. This is the king. This is the king of kings coming into the city of Jerusalem in royal majesty, receiving the recognition of the people as the king. For much of Christ's ministry, he was despised and rejected of men. We know that. Often the adoring crowds followed him only for what they could get out of him and nothing more. The majority of his audience rejected him as the Messiah and refused to bow the knee and to own him as Lord and Savior. At the beginning of his ministry in his home city of Nazareth, having stood up to read in the synagogue that passage of Scripture from Isaiah 61, and having applied it to himself, this day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. They were all filled with wrath, all of them. And they were ready to cast him down 
headlong over a cliff. At the end of his ministry, indeed just a few days um, after Palm Sunday, the people with one accord cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Yes, by and large, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But this day is different. At least this one day. On this day, they lavished attention and honor on Jesus. You might say that they, they put out the red carpet for him. They used their clothes as a saddle for Jesus to sit on, and a red carpet for the colt he rode on. And considering the value and expense of clothing in that day, this was generous praise. We also hear the praise that was lavished upon him. Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's all about the king here. And all four gospels testify to this wonderful event. And I'm sure it's Luke that gives the fuller account, the longest account. And it's worthwhile just reading some of the verses in the, the parallel passages. Luke 19, if you want to turn over, we'll read just verse 37 to 40. When he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, for most of his ministry, Jesus did everything he could to discourage the people from celebrating him publicly as the Messiah. But this is his moment of triumph. Just this little hour before his sufferings would come upon him. And you, you might say that he even encouraged and invited public praise and adoration. In fact, when the old religious hypocritical leaders objected to what was happening. Jesus said here, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Well, my friends, we worship him today. We worship him as he is here, as the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We join our voices with those on Palm Sunday, and we proclaim him as such. He is our king. If you're a child of God, he's your king now. And then one day, the king is coming. You're looking forward to that day when he shall come in great triumph. Palm Sunday foreshadows the great day of our Lord's second coming, when he will come in royal majesty, in power, and in great glory. And he will sit upon the throne of glory and reign in sovereign power. Praise God, the king is coming. He came triumphantly, and it foreshadows that great day that is yet to be. But then secondly, he came into the city humbly. This is seen in the fact that he's not riding as other kings did on a horse, or in chariots, but on a colt, a young donkey. He had no wealth or wealthy or grand trappings. They threw their clothes upon the colt. He, he sat upon the colt. Those who attended the procession were ordinary common people, not the important dignitaries that would attend royal processions. The best that they could provide was just spreading their garments in the way. Even his nearest and his most trusted attendees were, were just ordinary men. When you think of the disciples and the background that they came from, 
Christ himself was dressed in ordinary clothing, not the magnificent apparel of the kings. And all these things are marks of his humiliation. Even at his triumphant entry, the most outward magnificent moment of his short ministry, when the crowds would gather not to be healed of sickness, not to be delivered from devils, not even to hear him preach the word and receive instruction, but to acclaim him as king and take notice of him who he really was, the one coming in the name of the Lord or Jehovah, as Mark puts it, or as Luke declares, the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. The whole picture is, is one of, of meanness and humility. In fact, the whole life of Christ was stamped with humility. This is the Jesus who was meek and lowly in heart, who stooped at the feet of the disciples with his basin to wash their feet. He is the one of whom we read in Philippines chapter 2, and we sang about it today, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in the light of that example, the humility of Christ, Paul declared to the church at Philippi, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to walk in this world with humility of heart. Learn from Christ. We are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think the Scripture tells us in Romans 12 and 3. We are to be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You want to mark those people who always want their own way, who are stubborn and hard to work with, who seek self-esteem and glory and recognition. It's their way or nothing. Oh, there's a warning for us all. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 29, verse 23. Oh, dear friends, learn this today from the life of Christ in his great humility. Learn that God dwells with those of a contrite and humble spirit. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. He came into the city humbly. And then thirdly, he came into the city gloriously. There were several rays of Christ's glory shining forth in the midst of all this humility. For one thing, he knew the future. At the commencement of this story, he sends two disciples into the village where he knew there was a colt tied, where he knew the owner would gladly release this beast for the purpose for which it was designed from all eternity. The prophets could speak about this hundreds of years beforehand. Think about that, that this occasion would take place, that this, this animal would be readily available. Think of this that God had in his plan an animal already chosen and singled out. All the disciples had to say to anyone that questioned them was the Lord hath need of him. And immediately the colt would be untied and, and handed over. And Jesus knew all this. Oh, Jesus knows all about the future. Not only what we might call his great eternal plan that will unfold in this world and that will be carried out to the very last jot and tittle. 
If you don't know what the jot and tittle is, it's to do with the Hebrew language. Maybe you do know this. But the jot is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's the smallest letter. And the tittle is even smaller again. It's only part of a letter. It's an extended part of a letter to make it into something different. And the Lord will fulfill everything right down to the last small detail. He knows everything. He knows the circumstances throughout the world, in the nations of the earth, in all kindreds. And then you can bring that down a little bit more personally. He knows all about our families. And if you want to narrow it again, he knows all about us as individuals, so personally and individually is he acquainted with us. He knows all about our circumstances now and our circumstances future. He knows the future of Ukraine. Our brethren and sisters have been with us now for some little time. The war broke out, as you know, on the 24th of February, and they came a few months later. But God knows what the future is for your country. And his plan is unfolding. His purpose is unfolding. And whatever time it will take, and we should pray for the end of war, but God has a plan. And God also knows all about Israel, his beloved land, that land that is before him, that land that was chosen by him, and what the suffering is there now, and all the oppression. He knows all about it, and he knows the future. And that will all unfold in due course. He knows all the politics of every land. But praise God, He knows all about us personally, what you are going through right now, <clears throat> and how your future will unfold. So at this moment in time, you know your circumstances. You know what you're passing through. And if you're in the midst of a difficult day in your life, a difficult period of trial that you're going through, just remember, the Lord knows it. But not only that, he knows what we don't know. He knows the future and how that plan will unfold for us personally. It's in his hands. We worry about the future. <coughs> I'm sure, needlessly, it's all in God's hands. He will direct our way, our day and what comes to pass. And that will be so even in the ordinary things of life. The ordinary things of life could be your education, young people. For others, it's your employment, it's your family life. The sickness that might overtake your body, and even our death. These are the ordinary, normal things of life. <clears throat> and then are those higher things. We think of how the Lord might be pleased to use us this year, and I trust that He will. Every single child of God here, He knows what souls will cross our path in His providential plan that we will witness to and have opportunity to, to speak the gospel to. He knows what sinners we will have the opportunity to lead to Christ, and I pray that that will be multiple. He knows what this church will accomplish for Him as we seek to walk in humility and godliness. Oh, take heart today that the Lord knows the future. He knows all about you. He knows all about the church. Hymn writer says, I do not know what lies ahead. The way I cannot see, yet one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. I know who holds the future, and he'll guide me with his hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems, large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles, give to him my all. So the Lord knew the future, and that's most glorious on this occasion. But you know, he, he showed his dominion. Christ has all power over his creatures. There's an interesting but a very powerful statement about this young donkey that should never be overlooked. Where on never man sat. This means that this animal had never been broken. And therefore, naturally, 
It would react with the, the wildness and the resistance of its nature if anyone sat upon it or attempted to ride it. And yet this colt shows perfect submission underneath Christ because the Lord had all power and all dominion. Psalm number 8 is very interesting. Let me just read from verse 3. You can follow on or listen on. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and crownest him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. Now, the psalm here, first and foremost, is speaking about ordinary men and the dominion that they have over the rest of creation. But what is applied to man is ultimately fulfilled in the perfect man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so you ought to compare what we read there in Psalm 8 with what we read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6 onwards. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. All things in the most highest sense put under the feet of Christ, who is the sovereign creator of the world. Riding the ass's colt gives a shadow of his power over the spirit of man, who is born as the wild ass's colt. You know, Job tells us that in Job 11 and verse 12. The wild ass's colt. And this, of course, really was a wild ass that had never been broken. Nobody had ever sat upon it. And yet we are told in, in that passage of the Scripture that we are born that way. We are born just like the wild ass's colt. And Jesus has dominion over all things. And in this I learn a wonderful truth. My dear friends, he can subdue the wildest person and subdue them under his almighty dominion. He can break the most stubborn will. He can tame the most reckless life. If I was to pull out of the Scriptures one great example, it would have to be the demoniac of Gadara who was brought to sit at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. And when you read the story, you remember what this man was like, this wild man, this man that terrified the community of his day, who ran about naked, who lived in the tombs, who cut himself with stones, a man that was out of control. And yet, when he meets Jesus, he's brought to sit at his feet, perfectly under control, delivered from the power of the evil one. And I say to you, as we come almost to the close of this service, that your loved one might be in the strong man's house, chained and fettered, untamable and unruly, but Jesus can set him free. He's able. He's able to subdue all things unto himself. So let us never despair, no matter how wild the person might be, no matter how far gone from God they might be, deep in sin, far away from God, the wildest person that you can imagine, they can be brought under the dominion of Christ. I believe that with all my heart.
And in this we see something glorious shining through in this story. And just as I finish, the colt was brought from a place where two ways met. Did you see that there in verse 4? I was thinking about this little expression or description, and I thought that there must be some kind of application here. Why, why would it be in the Word of God that this is where the colt would be, where the two ways met? It is as if the Lord Jesus is showing that He came to direct man in the right way, especially when two ways lie before Him, and there was danger in taking the wrong way. And that is so often what it's like in life's journey. We come to a crossroads. We come to where the two ways meet, and there's, there's one direction that the Lord wants us to take, and there's another direction, and that will lead us away from God and far from the Lord, and maybe into danger. We know not. And I thought how applicable here this is for the sinner. How often the sinner is brought to the crossroads little chorus that says, I met Jesus at the crossroads where the two ways meet. Satan, who was standing there, bid me come his way. Lots and lots of pleasures I will give to thee today, but I said no, for Jesus is here. See what he offers me. Down here my sins forgiven. Up there a home in heaven. Praise God, that's the way for me. And maybe there's some sinner here in this service today, and you're at the crossroads, and there's two ways. And one is going to bring you the way of forgiveness and joy and peace in heaven itself. The other way is going to bring you down into the darkness and the depths of a lost sinner's hell. You've got a decision to make. And there's a way in which Christ wants you to go. And that is the way that brings you peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction forever, knowing Christ as your Savior. What about you, dear, dear believers that are here in this service today? Is there not an application for you as well? For all I know, you're sitting in this service and you're at a crossroad. You are where the two ways meet. And you've got a decision to make. Which way will I go? Well, I tell you, there's a way to go that's right. There's a way that God wants you to follow. That the Lord Jesus Christ has ordained for you. That's the way to take, not the way that takes you away from the Lord. May He give you also deciding grace that you might have peace and contentment in your heart, that the decision that you take when you come to the two ways is the right one. These are the simple lessons that I find lying on the surface of this story. May the Lord apply them to your heart and to mine as we think of how Jesus entered into the city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Your Word. We thank you for a God that is in control. We rejoice today as we think of Christ. He came triumphantly to the city as the king. We recognize him as king. He came with humility. Give us the humility of Christ to walk in this world in his steps. Let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as we think of how he came gloriously and these, these thoughts that we've pondered over today, apply them to our hearts, knowing that He knows all about us and He knows the future. He knows the path that we take. And help us, Lord, to understand that when, when we get to the two ways, there is a right way to take, and we want to know that right way, and to be in prayer and looking to the Lord for direction in this life, especially for any who know not the Lord today. Maybe they're at the crossroads. Lord, help them to make the right decision and to take the right road for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our closing hymn is 433. Savior, lead me lest I stray. If the Lord didn't lead us right, we would stray immediately. Gently lead me all the way. I am safe when by thy side I would in thy love abide. And the cry of the chorus is, lead me, lead me. Savior, lead me lest I stray. <clears throat>
is the cry of our heart as we leave your house today. Lead me. Lord, we would stray if we weren't led by the Lord. And so lead us every day. Guide us, O thou great Jehovah. May that be the cry of our soul as we go home today. Help us to meditate upon your word and the things that we learn from the Savior today. We pray that we'll apply them with, with diligence to our hearts. Give us the help of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.